Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Howdy, folks. Welcome back. It's a jam-packed Wednesday edition of JJ After Dark. It's John Jastrzemski right here on The Fan, and it is very hard to believe that we are nine days away from the start of the NFL season. Eight days, nine days, depending on when you might be listening to this interview. But we are going to welcome in one of my favorites, one of the authorities of the NFL, one of the guys that I look forward to reading week after week after week. You know it's a Monday show when I watch 11 straight hours of football. I'm talking to you guys, and I'm reading this guy's column at like 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning. So let's welcome in the great Peter King, who's nice enough to join us. Let's have it, Peter. Hey, John. It's great to be with you. And just so that everybody knows, I'm not lunatic enough to do this show in the middle of the night. Uh, we're actually taping this, um, and I'll be sound asleep when you're on. But I, I do have to tell you, there are many nights when uh, in the last couple of years, especially, you know, like an overnight on Sunday, when uh or or an overnight when i have to do work in the middle of the week because that happens occasionally where i'll listen to your show and you know you're you're really a fun listen because you really know all sports so uh happy to be on with you and uh let's talk football well it's very kind of you to say peter and i know you're gonna have a whole lot of those nights coming up with the start of this year take everybody through the difference in what a normal Peter King summer would be, right? Like where you're going from training camp to training camp, you're spending so much time with coaches and players and GMs around the league, and to have it shrunk down, everything, not just your travel routine, but the preseason doesn't exist. The training camp period is all sorts of wacky. I think it's fair to say this is unlike anything you have ever experienced, right, in your years of being around the NFL? Yeah, absolutely. Usually in the course of uh, one training camp trip, I would go, uh, I'd probably go to 20 camps in 28 days, uh, 30 days maybe. I'll come home for four days in the middle of it. But, uh, but this year, I just went out for eight days. I flew to Tampa, spent a couple of days there. 
I drove to Atlanta, watched the Falcons, uh, drove to Nashville, watched them, and then drove eight and a half hours to Kansas City uh, with my producer, videographer, Annie Koblitz. And uh, so it was, a, it, was a, it was a much shorter tour. Um, and it was, it, was, it was a much different tour because even though I watched two long practices of the Kansas City Chiefs, when I was in Kansas City, the only person I talked to was Whit Merrifield of the Kansas City Royals. Wow! So you're saying, well, what are you what are you talking about? What happened? And um, so, you know, you're always looking for something different to do. I, I ended up interviewing uh, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Tyron Matthew uh, while I was sitting in room 2310 of the JW Marriott in Nashville. Uh, the day before I actually went to Kansas City, because you can't talk to people in person. And the day I went to Kansas City, uh, a buddy of mine told me that, hey, Whit Merrifield's pretty tight with Mahomes. You should talk to him. And so I ended up talking to Merrifield about not only about Mahomes, his buddy, but about, Whit, what is it like to play sports in front of nobody and and what is what is this what is this year like and he says we have a saying in our clubhouse and the saying is embrace the suck and it's all about how you know this is a year unlike any other you can't go to the, he, he said you know what i would do normally we just left we just came off a road trip in minnesota normally i would walk down the hall in Alex Gordon's room and we just talk about family. We might watch TV together. We go out to dinner. There's a couple of restaurants we like in Minnesota. We can't do anything. I can't visit another player in the hotel. Uh, and so it's just, it's a different world. Nobody's crying for him. And he said, I, I don't want anybody to cry for me, but it's just, it's just a totally different thing. Now in football, obviously you don't go on the long road trips. You just go on sort of the overnight trip and then you're home. So it's not that big a deal. But in the NFL, you know, when I go to a road game and I'll walk into the, say, the, the Lowe's Hotel in Nashville where a lot of teams might stay, and I'll walk into the lobby and let's say the Colts are there. This year, let's say Philip Rivers would be in the lobby with his whole family and all his extended family from, from Alabama and, and all that. Well, he can't do that this year. Philip Rivers is going to get to the hotel. He's going to go up to his room and any food he gets or anything like that, he's going to have to eat in his room and he's not going to be able to have his family in to go do any family things. So it's just, Wild to think and again, about. And, and again it's weird. It's weird and nobody really cares, but it's just on the personal side for players, road trips have become really kind of drab. Because normally you might go and, and gather up 10 teammates. And before your meeting starts at 6.30 that night or 7 o'clock that night at the hotel, you'll go somewhere to some restaurant and you'll have a great steak. And then you go back there. Well, that's not happening this year. Nobody's leaving the hotel property. Peter, Kansas City obviously had everything go right in the postseason last year. They had those three incredible comebacks against Houston against Tennessee, and then, of course, in the Super Bowl over San Francisco. 
normally you get ready for the start of the year. You have all this pageantry. Arrowhead Stadium would be rocking. The tailgates would be rocking. The crowd would be rocking. Now it's obviously a much different deal for the Chiefs as they kick off their season. Um, You've seen this for years. Teams that can handle everything after a Super Bowl championship. Teams that in some way are very much hungover after that Super Bowl championship. Where do you see Kansas City shaking out? Are they one of those teams that has hangover in all over them? Because I don't see it that way. When you got Patrick Mahomes and when you got Andy Reid, I just find it difficult to believe that, you know, we're not going to be sitting here come, I don't know, December, January, maybe even February, talking about the Chiefs trying to do this again. Look, I I have the ultimate faith in both Mahomes and Reid. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, in 2018, in mid-season, actually it was in November, when the Chiefs had to fire Kareem Hunt because they found that he had lied to the organization about a, uh, 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 a domestic violence incident in a hotel uh, in the off-season. And so they, on, fr- on a Friday afternoon before they were going to have a division game against the Raiders, they decided they were going to cut one of their most important players, the reigning NFL rushing champion. And uh, so they cut him, and it was a, you remember it, it was a huge, huge story. And so at the time, Patrick Mahomes, 8 o'clock the next morning when they come in, they're, they're going to have a quick walkthrough, and then they're going to get on a plane to Oakland. So Patrick Mahomes goes up to Reed, and he goes, Coach, uh, can I talk to the team? And I want to talk to the team, you know, alone, just players. So think of this at the time, John. The Kansas City Chiefs, uh, they're of the 53 players on their active roster at that moment, Patrick Mahomes was older than exactly three of them. And Patrick Mahomes was the player on the team who stood up in front of the team and said, we all love Kareem. You know, he's going to be a friend of ours forever. But, and this is a big but, we cannot let this derail our season. We can't let this ruin what we have all worked for because of one person. And uh, he said a few other things and he walked out, took two or three minutes max. And that is when Andy Reid knew that he had the quarterback to build his team around for the next 15 years, because not only was he a great football player, he was a leader before his time. All that time that he spent hanging out with his father in major league baseball clubhouses. Um, all the time that he saw what a major leaguer had to put up with and everything, you know, he, he was well aware of all that. And so when Andy Reid saw that thing that day, he knew that his team was going to be okay. And look, if it wasn't for an incredible uh, couple of drives by Tom Brady and the the Patriots late in Kansas city. It might've been the chiefs beating the Rams in that Super Bowl rather than the Patriots. But again, who knows? But, but so I feel very good about the quarterback. I feel very good about the coach. I feel very good about the continuity 20 of 22 starters back 21. I'm sorry, 20 of 21 coaches 
returning. So it's incredible continuity. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be one of the most exciting rookies in the NFL, uh, and he'll be my pick for Offensive Rookie of the Year. So we're down in Tampa. I got to hear about Tampa now because I'm all fired up to watch him, Peter. I can't wait to watch Tampa. Arians is the coach. Brady, Gronkowski, the idea of Brady doing something else other than being a Patriot. So I'm like mesmerized to hear about what your overall impression was watching Tom Brady wearing like that popsicle Buccaneer uniform. That was certainly weird, but he's got a heck of a lot more talent to work with now going into this year. What are you feeling about, you know, your takeaway spending some time with the Buccaneers? Well, the first, I watched a practice and then I watched the first time that uh, Brady and his offense, his 11, the 11 guys on offense went against the Tampa Bay defense. So it was a big kind of big moment in Bucks camp, especially in a year when you're not playing any preseason games. So in the first 20 minutes of the practice that I saw, that was just a normal training camp practice. Tom Brady is as much a coach as he is uh, a quarterback. He's, you know, basically drilling and quizzing and working with O.J. Howard, uh, you know, on how to run routes and don't negate your speed by turning around looking for the ball so often and things like that. But it was just totally fascinating because it was clear that, you know, the Bucs had gotten him not only to be a player, but for him to rut his professionalism and his knowledge of football to rub off on everybody else. Um, so that was, that was sort of part one. Part two was um, his arm looked fantastic. And I think one of the things about Brady's arm that is interesting to me, like you often hear quarterbacks in the off season say, yeah, I, I needed to just rest my arm. I needed to get away from it. And I'm not saying Brady throws every day. But Brady is a bit of a throwaholic. He always works with his throwing coach, um, you know, Tom House, the former major league pitcher, and his staff out in California. He works with them every offseason just to make sure that his mechanics are okay. And this year, obviously, he worked with new skill players. And, um, you know, he's really taken a shine to O.J. Howard, likes him a lot, Um And, you know, I've been telling people, I said, look, okay, you know, Rob Gronkowski, if I had to guess over or under a number of snaps for Gronkowski, I would say 375. And it isn't that they don't like Gronkowski. It's that they want, just like a couple of years ago in New England, remember when they were saving him and and conserving him and not playing him a lot. And that's what I think is going to happen in Tampa. I would expect that O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait will play most of the snaps until you get to about the opposition 30 or 25-yard line. And then here comes Gronk to do Gronk things in the red zone. Um, That's the second observation. I think the third thing I would say is just that, you know, when you look at Tom Brady in a new team, you really wonder – how he's going to fit in. So I talked to Brady and I, I asked him what it's been like for him. And he said, Peter, do you realize that I've been playing high school, college, and pro football? This is my 30th year. 
and this is the first season of all the, of those 30 years that I've had an offensive head coach. And when you think about that, you think, okay, in high school, in, in high school for four years, he had a guy with a defensive mind in college for five years. Cause he redshirted. He's got Lloyd Carr, who was a defensive guy. And then obviously for 20 years, he had Belichick. Now it's Bruce Arians. And the coolest thing, when I was talking to Arians about this, one of the things he said was, man, one day, a couple of weeks ago, I just had him come into my office because I wanted to find out what he likes. What plays do you like? And I had him just get up on the board and say, show me the plays you like. And he goes, those are the plays I'm going to call. And it was he knew basically he'd watched so much tape of Brady in the offseason. He knew everything about him. And uh, you know what was interesting, John? They are so – he and Byron Leftwich, you know, is the offensive coordinator. They and, – and time will tell, okay, time will tell. But they're laughing at the outside impression that this is a bad offense for Tom Brady because, quote, all Arians does is throw the ball deep downfield, end quote. Um, but, you know, as, as Arians said to me, he said, you know, we throw to the open guy. We don't throw to the covered guy 40 yards downfield. You know, so we'll see what happens. But I think it's a great fit for Brady. Um, and the one other guy I've told people to draft in the sixth round of their fantasy draft, and they say, who is he? I tell them, draft Scotty Miller in the sixth round of your fantasy draft. I'm making Scotty a note Miller. of that right now, Peter, as we speak. Making a note. So, it, so is everybody listening to this in the middle of the night. you know. But, but Scotty Miller, the, the scrimmage that I saw, the two stars were O.J. Howard and Scotty Miller. Tom Brady threw like an arcing 48-yard beautiful throw right into Scotty Miller's diving paws right at the goal line for a touchdown. It was beautiful. And, and as I wrote my column a couple of weeks ago, Scotty Miller was really kind of shaken up by it, but he wasn't going to miss this throw, you know. And he came back to the line, and he puked all over the field. <laughs> and he had just, you know, he was just, uh, you know, he had expended every bit of energy he had. But this guy's a four-three-five guy in the 40. He's from Bowling Green. Nobody has any idea who he is. And one of these weeks, he's going to catch three touchdown passes. And you'll say, why didn't I start him on my fantasy team this week? Naturally. Now, you spend so much time around the great Bill Parcells. And yeah. obviously, Bill Parcells had a way of going about his business. You now look at the coach 20, 30, 35 years later. Obviously, the NFL is drastically different. And I think you're hearing some of that now, Peter, when it comes to Joe Judge, who I think a whole lot yeah. of Giant fans who are listening right now I love the fact that he's diving in. He's getting all muddy with his players. He's showing you that he can be, you know, one of the guys that he is ingraining himself into that fabric, which I think is great. But he's also run a very tough camp. Um, and you've heard, you know, the hot take card is basically like his style of coaching won't work in the NFL. And, and I, for one, Peter, don't buy that. To me, if he earns the player's respect – he runs a tight ship, and he's his own person. I think all of that can work. So you were around Porcells. You saw the way Porcells handled some players in some situations. Do you think that sort of attitude from a head coach can still play today? 
I think it can, but but Parcells always, and I remember because I covered him for four years. I wrote for Newsday in the 80s, and I covered him uh, before he won anything. And, um, and you know, he always, he always used to say, and he always used to pass along, you know, there were a couple of adages. And, um, you know, one of them was, and I'm going to get the wording wrong, but basically he used to say that once you've got the pelts on the wall, they got to listen to you. And so, and if you don't have the pelts on the wall, they might not listen to you. And that's, to me, that's a classic case of Bill Belichick in Cleveland. Half the guys on that team thought that Belichick was an idiot, you know. And even in the early years in New England, remember the lawyer Malloy uh, controversy in 2003, a bunch of players. I sure do, and they got smoked really, in week one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they lost 31 nothing to Buffalo. And uh, everybody saw Tom Jackson went on ESPN and said, let me tell you, these players hate their coach. And, uh, and the Patriots went on to win the Super Bowl this year. And Tom Jackson and Bill Belichick had an interesting little tête-à-tête, you know, when Belichick was interviewed by Chris Berman on ESPN after winning that Super Bowl. But be that as it may, um, I think I think you you get really helped. I remember with covering the Giants, there were a bunch of guys on that team who did not like Bill Parcells. Joe Morris was one of them. He just didn't like him. He thought that. He said, I work my rear end off and all I get is crap and Lawrence Taylor gets away with everything and, and all this. But he, hey, listen, Joe was not the only one, believe me. You know, there's a lot of guys on that team who were not in love with Bill Parcells. But the fact is, I think what you see is that if you're going to hire a guy and John Mara hired this guy and he chose him basically, you know, over, I think a lot of people felt like if Josh McDaniels got in the room, that he was going to get that Giants job and he was going to get the guy to, he was going to be the guy to, to really kind of save Daniel Jones and to coach Daniel Jones. But I think that Joe Judge kind of blew them away. Um, and he, he won this job, you know, in that interview and with a lot of stuff that Bill Belichick told him. And you have to let a guy be himself. That's all there is to it. Joe Judge is being himself for all these people who say, why are you having guys run laps? This is an high school. I say, you know, who cares? Really, who cares? You know, if, if an offensive lineman jumps offside and people are going to make a big deal about you, you saying that, oh, it's ridiculous, it's high school stuff to make the offensive lineman run downfield and back, why is that high school stuff? You know, does he want to do that? No. Is he going to concentrate more on the next play? Hopefully so, or else he's going to run again, you know? And so I, I, I don't, I mean, I think it's ridiculous to criticize Joe judge because he has some rules that they're not abusive rules. They're just, they're just old time rules. Good for him. Let him do what he wants. And, and let's see, let's see how they do. The great Peter King, he joins us here on the fan. All right, Peter, I saw something earlier today and it kind of blew my mind that like, over the last, I forget the year amount, but the championship Sunday finalist, one has missed the playoffs for like a crazy amount of years. I mean, it's crazy to think about. You would say championship Sunday, all four of those teams, odds are, you know, are going to find themselves back in the postseason the next year. Not the case. That's kind of life in the NFL. So I'm going to throw this at you. 
Out of the four teams that were playing on Championship Sunday, Packers, Niners, Tennessee, Kansas City, who, in your opinion, would be most likely to miss the postseason? Packers. I agree um, with you. Thousand percent. I, I mean, I don't, I don't dislike the Packers, but the Packers were a tight wire act against, you know, uh, against, uh, uh, you know, against a bunch of teams that they had a pretty average schedule, you know, for part of the year last year. And and again, look, you know, any team that goes thirteen and three, it's not a fluke. They deserve it. But I guess my point is. You know, when I look at some of the teams that they played and they beat and where they were at that time, you know, the team, the, 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 the greatest game they had far and away last year, far and away, was when they went to Kansas City and beat, and beat the Chiefs, even though the Chiefs were a little bit, you know, undermanned. But, you know, the, Chief, the Packers had a terrible loss at the Chargers. They had an embarrassing loss at the 49ers. And then after that embarrassing loss against the 49ers, they had probably the most advantageous three weeks. Because I remember thinking that day at San, I covered that game in San Francisco. And I remember, and I have, I think it was in this order, right? I think it was in the order of Giants, Washington, and Chicago. All teams hopelessly lost, okay, you know, the first three weekends of uh, December. So, hey, look, they caught a little schedule break last year. Uh, They had a a game, a playoff game in Green Bay against Seattle that was very, very close that they eked out. And then they went to San Francisco and, again, got their head handed to them. So, I like Green Bay. I think they're a good team, but I probably would not pick them to win the division this year. I'd probably pick Minnesota, and then we'll see what happens. Every year, Peter, it seems like in the NFL, there's that surprise team. Sometimes they're the surprise team that, you know, people like you and me are talking up throughout the summer. Other times, they're a surprise team that comes out of nowhere. Is there one that you're looking at as we are now a week away that kind of catches your eye? I would say the two teams that were below 500 last year um, that I think are going to be significantly better this year. I'll actually give you three. There's three teams that were under 500 last year that I think are going to be a lot better. Um, And one and, and, and and an awful team that I think is going to be in the eight and eight range. I'll start with that. I think Cincinnati is going to be pretty good. I think Joe, Joe Burrow is going to hit the ground running. It's all he's ever done. Uh, And I think the offense in Cincinnati fits him. And I think he's got a chance to win seven or eight games as a rookie. The three teams I like a lot. Number one is Indianapolis. I liked him a lot last year. Um, The quarterback didn't play very well. Uh, And again, if Phillip Rivers throws a jillion interceptions, they'll be seven and nine again. But I think Indianapolis is better than seven and nine. I think they're a playoff team. I like Oakland, uh, who was also seven and nine last year. I like Oakland because I think that, you know, in two drafts, <clears throat> Mike Mayock has basically uh, drafted 
about 900 guys who've played in, you know, deep into the national championship playoffs, you know, in the last couple of years. He just really believes in pedigree. He believes in Clemson and Alabama. And, and he, he, believe, he believes in, in the SEC very, very much. Um, I like Oakland. I'm not a huge Derek Carr guy, but uh, I think they're going to be better. And, and, and look, the one thing I would say about Oakland is that, and we could all say this about any team in the NFL, if their quarterback plays lousy, they're going to go 6-10. and 10. And I'd say the same thing about Oakland. And I think that John Gruden has vastly overrated Marcus Mariota so that if he has to play, if they have to bench Carr, I don't think they're going to be any better. So they need Carr to be a little bit better than he has. And I think with the weapons he has right now and Henry Ruggs, Hunter Renfro, I think is a big star in the making. I think they'll be okay. But the other team that I like a lot that was also seven and nine last year is Tampa Bay. Um, I just think the one thing about Tampa that, and everybody said, oh, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're in love with Brady. And, and it's, it's a little bit of the Brady factor because I think Brady's going to be good, but it's more of this. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers entering the last two games of last season. We're on a four-game winning streak, and they had two home games left, a Saturday game against Houston and a Sunday game against Atlanta. They were winning both those games, and they blew the game to uh, Houston, and uh, Jameis Winston threw a walk-off interception on the first play of overtime against Atlanta. Jameis Winston threw six interceptions in those two games. That's why he's not the quarterback of that team anymore, and Tom Brady is. So to me, this was a team easily, easily could have been nine and seven if they had even an efficient quarterback, not a great one. And to me, I think Tom Brady brings them that. I think they are potentially an explosive offensive team and a rising star defensive team. Um, this team, I'm telling you, is going to win at least one game in January. I like them a lot. More likely to be competitive. I don't think either team sniffs the postseason, Peter, but hey, we're expanding it this year, and we do have a New York audience. Who has a better chance of being in the hunt come December, the Jets or the Giants? I just don't like either team very much. Um, which team has a better chance? I guess I would say the Jets because I have no idea what the AFC East is this year. Um, it's just a, such a weird division. You know, if Cam Newton is great, and he might be, who knows? Patriots can win 11 games. Uh, Buffalo, I think, is potentially the best team in the division. If I had to pick a winner right now, I'd pick Buffalo. You know, And Miami, um, I think in year two with a rebuild, it's going to be a good team, and I think two will be the quarterback by midseason. But, but again, I think there's so much mystery in that division, whereas in the AF, in the NFC East, I think Dallas is the best team in the division. Philadelphia is close. They'll both win double digits. It's hard for me to imagine that the Giants, I mean, what, what would you say to be the seventh playoff team 
in in either conference. You got to win nine. I'm thinking maybe nine. eight. I mean, we maybe might have an eight, eight, eight team. I could see probably, an eight team. Yeah. yeah, you probably have to win nine. I'm just asking you. Do you see the Giants winning nine games? Do you no see chance. the Jets winning nine? I no don't. Chance. I just. I don't see it. And not with but, those schedules, too, yeah. Peter. That's another yeah. thing. I mean, the Jets schedule, and that matters, too. I know some people try to poo-poo it and say, well, how do you know year to year? Well, I know Patrick Mahomes is going to be pretty good. I know the yep. NFC West has a ton of talent, and the Jets got to go to Seattle. Uh, they got to take on San Fran. They got to take on an upstart Arizona team that I like. And then you have L.A., who was in the Super Bowl two years ago. I mean, you're going to be lucky to go one and three in those four games. Lucky. Look. You know, I remember looking at the schedules when they came out, and I'm going to be I'm going to be wrong a little bit on this, okay? But but the one thing I thought about the Giants' schedule, okay, they open with Pittsburgh on a Monday night. I mean, you never know, but I think Pittsburgh is going to be pretty good, you know. And then they got a three game stretch with the Niners, Rams, and Cowboys, two of them on the road. So you know, I mean a gigantic moral victory for the New York Giants would be to start two and three, but they might start 0 and five. And so, you know, and again, this, I don't, if I'm, if I'm looking at the Giants, Giants and Jets have to approach these seasons differently, at least in my opinion. And I doubt that a guy like Joe Judge, an absolute bottom line guy like Joe Judge thinks of it in this way, but the Giants and Jets, even though they both might stink, they have to look at this year differently. The Giants, this is the first year of a program that Wellington Mara and Steve Tisch are going to be patient. And unless, unless they're 0-16, you know, they are going to be patient. Okay. They, they have seen what being impatient does. They're going to give Joe Judge a real chance. John Mara told me that, you know, soon after hiring him. Um, so, but the Jets, it's a little bit of a different story, you know, and, and again, look, I don't want to make too big a deal of any one, any one single thing, but last week I thought it was really not a good sign when at a practice, uh, Adam Gase at the end of practice says, uh, Le'Veon Bell's hamstrings bothering him. And Five seconds later, Le'Veon Bell says, my hamstring's fine on Twitter. And then he says, it's hard to get in a rhythm when you're not carrying it much. And he's bitching publicly when all Adam Gase knows is what a trainer told him. And the trainer tells him, you know, that uh, Bell's hamstring is acting up. (laughs) But, you know, can you, how many teams in the NFL in training camp would a coach on Twitter five minutes after practice be getting called out by one of the stars on the team? It's just not a good sign. It just, it's not good. And, and again, look, Gates did a good job last year going seven and nine with not a very good team with bad weapons. Um, but the schedule, as you said, is so much different this year. It's so much tougher. When you go on the road and you've got to face the Colts, the Chargers, the Chiefs, uh, I, they go to Seattle, right? They go to Seattle. I mean, they they got a ridiculous schedule, uh, you know, 
and 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 I have no idea what Joe Douglas is thinking about. No idea whatsoever. But you know, this does not look. This team does not look as good as seven and nine to me. Peter, final one, and I appreciate the time. I think a lot of people are going to look at the AFC and they're going to see Kansas City and Baltimore. I think there are going to be a lot of people that look at the NFC and they're going to look at San Francisco and they're going to look at the New Orleans Saints and they may throw Tampa Bay in there. I know you're a big believer in them. I'm a big believer in them. But if you had to give me a dark horse Super Bowl contender in the AFC and in the NFC, who fits the bill? Well, is Minnesota a dark horse? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so with Kirk Cousins as that quarterback. That's fair game. Exactly. Good. Yeah, I think Minnesota. Seattle's not a dark horse because they were a couple of plays from being the top seed last year. But I'd say Tampa or Minnesota in the NFC. The one thing about Minnesota is that Minnesota solves problems. That's what they do. They cut their entire secondary after last season. And then they just said, hey, we'll fix it. They let Everson Griffin, who had become kind of a problem inside the team, you know, recently, they cut him and they find a way for 60 cents on the dollar to go get Yannick Ngakwe. And that was for them, you know, he might be better than Everson Griffin, you know, and yet what does he cost? He costs very little to them. And so, and so I, I, I think they're going to be good. I think losing Stephon Diggs is a problem, but you know, drafting Jefferson, I think he's going to be a huge impact guy early on for them. You know, in the AFC, you know, I would say if if I were talking about a dark horse Super Bowl contender, you know, and again, I don't know how many people love them or don't love them, but I think Indianapolis is a good dark horse. Um, and I think, you know, if, if we're going real dark horse, the one team we have not talked about, look, if Drew Locke is good, the Denver Broncos are going to be a threat in every game they play. Now, I don't know if Drew Locke is good. We'll see. It's John Elway's rear end on the line now. He's taken a chance on 94 quarterbacks since Peyton Manning left. And uh, he's been wrong, you know, on, on 93. So let's see what happens with Drew Locke. But uh, I think I think they're a fascinating team because of their weaponry on offense and because if Bradley Chubb can stay healthy, and that is one of the biggest ifs in the league, um, Bradley Chubb and Von Miller are an incredible, incredible potentially pass rush duo. Uh, their secondary is good. I, I, like, I like Denver more than I thought I would. But the more I've studied them this offseason, I think they really have a chance. And again, Oakland, I think Oakland is pretty good. Now, you know, one of those teams that we've talked about, or two or three of them, are probably not going to be very good. But uh, those are the teams I kind of like in the Dark Horse region. Nobody gives you a better season preview than the great Peter King. And Peter, I think I'm now at the point, and I will never forget this, I am still haunted by the fact that when you were working at Sports Illustrated many moons ago, it was the year in which the Miami Dolphins got Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees. And I was so giddy when you guys picked them. And I don't know if you were responsible for this. Maybe it was somebody else over at Sports I Illustrated. Was, it was, it was, I think it was Paul Zimmerman's last pick. Oh, well, Dr. Z is one of the all-time greats. But that was he one is. that 
I, I, yeah. I will never, ever, ever want to see the Miami Dolphins as like a preseason Super Bowl pick. Thankfully, yeah. in the last 15 years, Peter, I haven't had to worry about this and I haven't had to see it. But maybe at some point when we're doing one of these preseason picks, you and I, it will be, you know, the Tua Flores-led Miami Dolphins, and we're talking about great things for them. One can only hope from my I mean, standpoint, it could okay? be, but, you know, I'll just, I'll just say this. Can you imagine how the course of football history would have been changed if, Drew Brees went with Nick Saban. Oh, don't even remind me. Peter, mark my words. Yeah. Nick Saban, I still think, is coaching the Miami Dolphins. Is that That's crazy right. to say? And, and, and here's the question. Here's the question. Patriots won six. Okay. They had won three by that moment. My question is would the Patriots have won three more, two more, one more, zero more? You know? And would, would Saban have won a couple instead of that? And, and here's the other thing that nobody ever talks about, okay? Would the New Orleans Saints be the San Antonio Saints? And would there not be a pro football franchise in New Orleans right now? Because just think of it. Drew Brees signed with them when they were still rebuilding after Katrina. And, you know, he signed with them seven months after Katrina. And if the Saints stunk, I will never forget this moment, ever, ever forget this moment. I covered the Saints draft in 2006, and my wife and I were in New Orleans uh, that week, and we deci- I decided we're going to go down, and we're going to build at a Habitat for Humanity site. And I mentioned to Sean Payton, who was a rookie coach at the time, and to Mickey Loomis, their general manager, <clears throat> hey, there's like 200 people here building houses who've come from all over the country to try to save the lower ninth ward. And you won't believe this, but we've just gotten word that president Bush is coming here today and you guys should come down. You really should just to thank these people. And they came down, they spent time with Bush. Uh, they congratulated and thanked all these strangers from Alaska to Portland, Maine, who had come here to build these houses and I will never forget this. The mayor of New Orleans at the time was a guy named Ray Nagin. I remember Ray. And yeah. I, was repo- I was reporting the story of how important the Saints are and what are they going to do in the draft. That was the draft they took Reggie Bush. And that draft was like two or three days away. And Ray Nagin told me at the time, he goes, listen, I need the Saints to stay here for one more year. If they move after this, that's fine. But we need some semblance of stability. I understand they might go, I need them here one more year. And just just imagine, that's how close the New Orleans Saints were of being not the New Orleans Saints and not one of the great stories in sports of the last 15 years. It's incredible to think about, and I'm happy for those folks, Peter, but I will still be haunted by the fact that my team ended up going Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees. Of course hey, you will. listen, I lived through 95. I'm happy that baseball was saved in Seattle. You know, all's good there. They won in 95. I cried my eyes out, and then the Yankees won four out of five titles. No problem. I haven't seen it on that end with the Miami Dolphins. So maybe at some point, Peter, listen, I can't thank you enough. So gracious no with problem. your time. I can't wait to be reading every Monday morning. And Normally, when are we done? Like 3.30 in the morning, 4 in the morning, just so I know I can uh, mentally prepare for the column. Well, usually I'm finished by about quarter to four, and the column posts about 
four thirty, quarter to five. So there you go. Ho- hopefully you reading. get it. Ho- hopefully you get it before you go to bed at your ridiculous hour. I like the sound of that, Peter. Enjoy the season, my friend. Stay safe. All the best to you and the family. All right. Thanks, John. All the best to you. Thanks for having me. That was a ton of fun. That's the great Peter King. We got a lot more to do with JJ After Dark right here on The Fan. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.